Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray, and I'm here with the best co-host anyone could ever (laughs) ask for, Ellen McGirt. Ellen. Oh, that makes me feel so good. Thank you, Alan. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I've got a little cold today, so if I don't sound like the best co-host in the world, that's the only reason why. So, Alan, here's something that I bet most of our listeners don't know. Each year on the Fortune 500, there's a very elite group. We're talking 18, 20 people who are CEO founders, meaning they started the company they're now running today. But when the newest 500 list is released later this month, there's going to be a name missing from that elite group. Yeah, there certainly is. And you're referring to the CEO of FedEx, Fred Mm -hmm. Smith. Uh, He's one of my favorite Fortune 500 CEOs, or was. He's been doing this for half a century. And uh, at the end of this month, he's stepping down, becoming executive chairman. Well, he can still be your favorite former CEO. Um, But that brings (laughs) us to our interview today, the incoming CEO of FedEx, Raj Subramanian. This is pretty cool. We're the first major media outlet he's speaking to. Do Do I have that right, Alan? That's my understanding, yeah. And I have to say the invite to interview him just showed up on my calendar. Now, how did this happen? How did you work this magic? Because I know this is you. I, I, I don't know. I, I, we, ha- we have good relations with FedEx. I've interviewed Fred Smith a number of times over the years. I'll tell you something, though, Ellen. It's really hard to imagine FedEx mm-hmm. without Fred Smith. I mean, he founded it. He envisioned it. He, it, it was his idea uh, as a, uh, uh, when he was in school at Yale as a school project. He envisioned the whole thing, really transformed the economy and the world. And I think we saw the full power of that during the pandemic when FedEx became so central to keeping the economy going and getting critical supplies to people all over the world. So taking Fred Smith out of FedEx is a big, big deal. And it's not an easy position to step into. But I I think from our conversation, uh, Raj Subramanian has the experience. He knows the company. He grew up there. He spent his life there, really. He Mm -hmm. came from India, but was brought into the company and has spent his career there. You know, it's so interesting. It's And this seems to be, and Alan, I'm going to test your knowledge on this. This seems to be one of the few circumstances where a founder CEO's unique personality, which includes some idiosyncrasies, actually improved the company, did, did not derail it in any meaningful way. So what do you think Raj's big job is now? How would you characterize the task that's in front of him? Well, you're right. I mean, no one ever questioned uh, Fred Smith's right to continue running the company. I think job number one, and we saw some of this in the interview, is you know, can he continue the magic? Can he right. uh, replace a legend? No easy thing to do. I think he's still being a little reserved on how he's going to change the company. But remember, this is a company that's competing with Amazon mm-hmm. uh, as well as UPS. So there's no doubt in my mind that that the company is going to change and technology is going to be a big part of that. You know, are you going to have self-driving vehicles and also alternative delivery from drones and other uh, uh, new technology? So he's got a lot ahead of him. And this is exactly where we started our conversation with Raj. Let's take a listen. 
So, Raj, someone once told me that you should pick your predecessor carefully. Uh, <laughs> you are replacing a legend. I mean, yeah. he started FedEx in 1973. That was the year I graduated from high school. I think you were probably, what, four, five years old at <laughs> I the was time? seven, yes. <laughs> okay, so how do you replace a legend? Well, obviously, you cannot. And uh, Fred is absolutely a special person. And, you know, one of the great privileges and honor for me over the last several years, and particularly the last three years, has been to work so closely with him. And one of the byproducts of the pandemic was the fact that uh, we spend hours and hours together. And it's not only just CEO school, but leadership school, visionary school, humanity school, history school, whatever you want to call it. There's, you know, whatever happens going forward, I will never forget and I'll be forever grateful for that opportunity to work with him. I'm also privileged and honored that in the succession process over the last many years and then specifically in the last three, that I'm able to take on this role and take on this opportunity going forward. Clearly, the job is very different now than it was back in the day where he was beaming in front of a handful of planes with a big dream of success. Can you talk a little bit about, and I know we've had the pandemic to deal with too, which nobody really saw coming, but how you prepared for the new version of FedEx that you're going to be bringing forward for the last three years? Because, I mean, you, you were named president in 2019. That was about to be a time of rapid change. Well, you know, so you just said, you know, you pick your predecessor, but also pick timing. Uh, nice. <laughs> 2019, March 1, when I got appointed to the role, the world was already in, in flux at that time, but had no idea what was coming in 2020, right? But we made some very important strategic decisions in 2019 that stood us in great stead in 2020 and beyond. You know, I've been thinking about it and working for a long time about where the growth is going to come from for industry. And we decided that we had to lean in into the e-commerce side of the equation. We were already very, very strong in our business to business. And that was going to continue to grow at a GDP plus one, a GDP plus two industrial production rate. But, you know, e-commerce was growing very fast. And so we had to lean into that. We made some strategic decisions which paid off quite handsomely when the pandemic hit because, you know, you know, especially as people stayed at homes and we were became people's personal supply chains, in addition to the tremendous job that we did on the healthcare side of the equation. So all of those were great. I mean, working very closely with Fred on strategy, setting those in place. And, you know, as we go forward, again, we have a very strong foundation to build off of. Raj, you were focused on e-commerce and that paid off, but you had also made the decision in 2019 to essentially divorce the king of e-commerce, Amazon. Can you talk yeah. about how you've fared given the split with Amazon through this extraordinary period? Yeah, no, that was a both a tactical and a strategic decision. We have, to, you know, Amazon is obviously a very uh, well-known company and they've done obviously quite well. However, we couldn't get to a commercial terms to work with them. And on a strategic basis, what we decided to do was to be on the side of retailers and to make sure that their retail stores as assets so we, we had this notion that if we linked strategically their store base and fulfillment assets with our logistics infrastructure assets, that we could provide tremendous value proposition for the end consumer. 
And precisely that's what happened. We also didn't want to be dependent on one large customer. You know, and so we wanted to have a much more diversified customer base. So that was very important to us, small, medium, large, and a variety of customers, and to enable them to succeed and do it in a strategic way. And if you think about what's happened in the e-commerce space, it's grown tremendously. Amazon being the largest player, of course, is the largest, but the rest of the ecosystem is also very large, and it's actually growing faster. When people talk about this tremendous growth that the retailers are seeing, what they don't see is that there's a FedEx story right behind that. So you mentioned the healthcare piece. I'm not sure all of our listeners know exactly how monumental that shift was. Could you walk us through that? Yes, of course. You know, as a pandemic began, we were moving PPEs actually to China. Remember, it started all in, yeah. it was actually in China. And then it started to spread around the world. We started moving all kinds of healthcare related material and equipment to all over the world. And the reason we can do it is that this is the part that people don't fully understand is there are only two companies who really have these global networks in place. Yeah. And what does a network mean? A network is basically saying, taking something from any one part of the world and getting to any other part of the world in a couple of days. That is only possible if you already have these networks in place. You just can't create a network out of thin air. That's what Fred has done over the history of the 50 years is to build those physical networks. And that's the foundation that we as a team uh, leveraged for the healthcare side of the equation. So when the vaccines came in and we had to distribute the vaccines, there were literally two players who could do that as FedEx and UPS. So along with the physical network, we also had technology. And this is what we call a sensor ID. This is a sensor-based technology that was on each of those shipments that proactively told you know us where the package was. And we managed it with advanced artificial intelligence and machine learning called FedEx Surround, the combination of our physical network, our sensor-based tracking and FedEx Surround made sure that these vaccines were distributed and they were done with more than 99% accuracy. You're talking about hundreds of millions of vaccines that have been deployed, not only in the United States and around the world. So that gives you a little bit more flavor for what we did in the pandemic and actually continue to do. Raj, it's such an amazing story, and we're all grateful for what you were able to accomplish. But it also illustrates something else. I mean, FedEx's history to date has been pretty much synonymous with the history of globalization. And a lot of people today are saying, ah, globalization, you know, that may be over. I mean, you look at the war in Ukraine and what's going on between businesses in the West and Russia. You look at all the supply chain problems that we're dealing with and everybody thinking about onshoring. You look at tensions with China. What's your view? Is the era of globalization over or are you going to have to deal with a dramatically different world than Fred Smith dealt with? So I think if you... Think about globalization and, you know, one measure of globalization is uh, trade as a percentage of GDP. And you go, go back and look through history, actually before the First World War, trade as a percentage of GDP was very high. And then it kind of went down. And then in, I think, late 70s and 80s, it started to pick back up. And I think uh, about 2010 or so, it plateaued. So... I feel we have to adapt to nearshoring. That's, I think, um, people are looking at uh, distributing their supply chains to behave more resilient. But the good news about that is it doesn't matter where you are going to locate your manufacturing, we are there already. The patterns of trade might change, but we are there in every part of the world. 
The second thing that's important to note here is that, you know, it doesn't matter about the politics. People around the world ultimately want to trade and travel. There is a natural resiliency for people to do that. And I think that may provide a ballast as counter to some of the geopolitical tensions. So I feel like there's enough opportunity here and uh, maybe the patterns of trade may change, maybe regionalize. But again, our network is global in nature and we are here, there and everywhere. And we are able to move our assets around to accommodate changing patterns if that happens. Building on Alan's question, too, in addition to the enormity of the challenge and the success that you've achieved, your network is only as good as the people that are part of it. And I know that last summer you had a labor shortage. You were short some package handlers, and that was an interruption. It certainly was something that you had to, an issue you had to deal with. How do you think about strengthening the human part of your network and making sure that that doesn't happen again? Well, you're 100% right about that. We went through a pretty difficult period last summer because uh, we were short of package handlers. And however, by the time the peak season rolled around, we had closed that gap. You know, FedEx is founded on people first principles. That's core to our culture. From the very founding, Fed was very clear about the philosophy. He called it people service profit. Take care of your people. They'll provide the right service, which generates profit for the company, which will reinvest back in the people. That unending circle is still with us today. It'll be with us. That's the foundation of FedEx. And I feel very confident in our culture. So again, with that, we had a temporary period of time where we were really understaffed. But again, as we got into the peak season, we, that got behind yeah. us. Yeah. But Raj, that does get to one of the fundamental operating differences between FedEx and UPS. UPS employs its own delivery drivers and their Teamsters. They're unionized. You use an elaborate system of contractors and they aren't unionized. During that episode last summer, some people were saying, well, the, that's why you had problems and UPS didn't. I mean, are you confident that your contractor non-union system is the right way for FedEx to go? So we have, uh, just to make sure that we're clear here, is that FedEx is composed of multiple operating companies. And, you know, the FedEx Express, FedEx Ground, FedEx Freight, you know, we have FedEx Office, FedEx Logistics, and, and FedEx DataWorks. And then, you know, the FedEx Services Company, which provides all the customer-facing activities. So it's the FedEx Ground Company that you're talking about. And we feel that is the right model, especially as we grow into e-commerce, that it provides us the flexibility to tackle that market. I, I feel like that we had to take the hit up front while the step change is going to probably come in for our competition later in the game here. Because for the competition, it comes in when they negotiate a new contract with the Teamsters. I mean, they, you and, know, that, and yours is more market-based. We, we have to we have to adapt. To, those increases are already in our numbers already. So as part of your job, you now own the future of FedEx. And I want to dig into that a little bit. I know there's bots coming. Sure. I know there's autonomous self-driving cars coming. Can you tell us how you're charting Drones. that future? The drones, the bots, yeah. the self-driving. My Lord, this is the future. <laughs> tell us about it. Well, I think well, the way I'm approaching it is uh, simple as A, B, C. You know, uh, A is for atoms, A-T-O-M-S, atoms. It's the physical networks. It's the foundation that we have built. It's for, you know, building networks is hard. And that's what, the you know, mm -hmm. Fred has just done a remarkable job of starting this company. And as a team, we have built these enormous physical networks. That's Irreplicable. It's very, very difficult to to replace or build something that FedEx already has got. That's the 
foundation that we're going to build off of. The B uh, is the bits, it's the technology play. And uh, there are 20 million packages per day. Each of them scanned 25 times uh, or so. And so we have sitting on mountains and mountains of data, but more importantly, insights about the global supply chain. When you see that truck driving down the street, you see the truck, the physical truck, but there's logistics intelligence in that truck. So in this age, when people are talking about supply chains, about different versions of supply chains, our mission would be to make our customer supply chains smarter using technology. And so bits and bytes, the B part of it plays a big role. Along with that, of course, we have, you know, autonomous vehicles, you know, with looking at potentially robotics and all of these uh, autonomous vehicles could be all the way from air to the ground here. And so we have, uh, you know, if you look right behind me, you can see uh, the Abbey Road, so to speak. You can see the, yeah. you can see the raw FedEx Roxo, and uh, that's the <laughs> autonomous last mile delivery vehicle. So, and then that's the B part of the strategy. And the C is the carbon efficiency. So, you know, we announced yeah. uh, ambitious goals of being carbon neutral by 2040. And uh, so the A plus B plus C is really where we're headed. Raj, this is a podcast, and so our listeners can't see that. Oh. But is that literally Abbey Road? That, no, that, uh... it's not quite, but it is uh, <laughs> but what it is. It looks like Abbey Road, but it is FedEx Roxo is the one I want. People can see if you just... Google up FedEx Rock, so you'll know what I'm talking about. That's your robot delivery. That is the last mile. Yeah, it's R O X O. So, you know. (laughs) I I met one of those in Florida a couple months Ah, ago. Ah, that's right. It's very charming. Very charming. I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, the CEO of Deloitte US and the sponsor of this podcast for all three of its seasons. Thank you for that, Joe. Pleasure to be here, Alan. Joe, business is facing so many challenges these days. The continued pandemic, the battle for talent, supply chain problems, rising inflation, and now on top of all of that, war in Europe. How are companies responding to all this disruption? Alan, you're seeing a remarkable level of optimism in the face of so many varied challenges challenges. And by and large, I'd attribute that to a recognition that this is just the new normal, the constant curveballs that will be thrown at us. But at the same time, given how successfully so many of these organizations have navigated through these things over the past couple of years, a growing confidence that we'll be able to continue to navigate the issues that get thrown at us and grow our businesses. But to do that, we are absolutely seeing a new brand of leadership emerge, grounded in resilience, in agility, in a learning mindset. These are the most important leadership attributes in an environment where we should just expect that change and disruption are going to be at a consistently high level of intensity. The problems aren't going away, Joe, right? (laughs) That you have to manage through them. I had a CEO say to me recently that if you put together a list of the top 20 risks one week, something big's gonna hit the next week and it probably isn't even on that list. And that's just a reflection of the number of different phenomena in the world right now and the level of complexity that businesses are managing through. Joe, thank you. Alan, it's a real pleasure. We've been talking about the FedEx story. I I want to talk about your personal story because it's an incredible story. You were born in India. You were educated in India. Talk about how you ended up at FedEx. (laughs) Well, you know, the actual story about how I got into FedEx is kind of an interesting one because, uh, you know, I finished my business school. I finished my MBA. I was in Austin, Texas. This was the height of the recession in 1991. 
And I did pretty well in school. And, you know, I had got interviews for several companies, second interviews. But the minute that people realized that I didn't have a green card, it stopped. The whole process stopped. So here it was in August. I'm already graduated three months ago. And, you know, I had no job. And I went walking into my apartment one day. I see my friend on the phone and he was talking to FedEx, which I found out later. And he hung on the phone. He said, That's, I said, who was that? He said, it's FedEx. And they were coming to campus, wanted to interview my roommate, but he had already decided to leave. So I immediately, give me the number. <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me call. So I called over and I said, we just talked to my roommate. He is leaving, but I'm still here. You know, can I send you my resume? So they said, okay, sure, fax me a resume. So I did, I faxed a resume. And they said, okay, well, and the next, next week they were in campus. But by that time, my euphoria had come down way back down again because of several failed attempts. So I walk into the room and I, I didn't say good morning. I didn't say hello. I just said, I don't have a green card. <laughs> and, and I said, if, if that's going to be a problem, then I don't want to waste your time and my time. To which those two very nice gentlemen who had come to campus from FedEx, they looked at me and said, Something like, son, if you, let's first figure out whether you have what it takes to do a job at FedEx and let's worry about the paperwork. And uh, <laughs> wow. the rest is uh, history, so to speak. So that's how that started. I tell you, you know, someone had told me then that in 30 years that this is the job I would be doing, I would have thought I had a better chance to play for the Memphis Grizzlies. So this is a, <laughs> a truly American story. So, Raj, I understand you played a role in helping to deal with the COVID crisis in India. Yeah, no, it was a year ago, to be honest, and the COVID cases started rising dramatically, very, very quickly. And the need of the hour was uh, oxygen. So over a weekend, to be honest, uh, you know, I was talking to some of the other CEOs and then we decided to convene a group. And on Sunday, it was a Zoom call. It was amazing how many of the Fortune 50 CEOs showed up on the call. And it was very clear at that point that we needed to prioritize what was required. And then we had to find a delivery mechanism to get it there. Then again, the same group convened again on the next day. And, uh, and uh, we had some of the folks from the US government as well on that call. And so it was uh, very quickly mobilized. And so, again, I said, the, you know, the need of the hour was oxygen and it was oxygen concentrators. Again, this is about the power of the network. So we had to find oxygen concentrators all around the world and get it to India. We fly 40 flights a week to India on a regular basis. So that became the mechanism to get these oxygen concentrators to India. So we moved thousands and thousands and thousands of oxygen concentrators. Then we donated many flights uh, on top of those regularly scheduled flights. And it was uh, need of the hour, and we were happy to be able to step up and do that. Raj, I have one more question for you that I know our listeners will care about. And then Ellen has a lightning round of questions that she'll take you through. You need to prepare yourself for oh, that. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... You are a supply chain expert, and a year ago, that would have been a reason for everybody to move to the other side of the yeah. cocktail party. It's, it's like it was nobody ever wanted to talk about supply chains, the ultimate in boring topics. And it seems to take on talk shows these days. Yes, and today it is the hot topic. It's driving the inflation that everybody's dealing with. So tell us how long is it going to take us to get back to supply chain boring normality? 
Well, I tell you what, and we talk about supply chains, there are at least two things that sometimes get conflated. One is, you know, what was classically this bullwhip effect of supply chains. That is, you know, originally when the demand started to fall, so production went away and specifically on semiconductors and chips and so on and so forth. But then the demand rose much higher than what people ever thought it's going to be. And that's never caught up. And uh, so that kind of shortage, we are, you know, 12, 24 months before being totally squared away on that as, you know, the demand, you know, maybe when the demand moderates a little bit, it's got a sense to catch up somewhat. But that's the first element of the shortage. Second was what happened uh, at the port in uh, Los Angeles from the vessel operator to the terminal operators, to the trucking, to the warehousing. It's the first 20, 30 miles from the coast. There are several players at play when in regular times, they kind of work seamlessly. But when things got you know, bottled up here and the information flow was not as good and then there was a shortage of workers in different parts of that chain, there was a, in a log jam and you can see those ships lined up to dock at, at the port. Now, the good news was, after those 20 miles, the inland systems were actually working pretty fine. You know, so FedEx and UPS and others did a very good job of moving things into the country and distributing to the end, whether it's a retailer or to the end consumer. So now you can see that that situation is getting better. And I think that's probably going to get over sooner. But I have to give one caveat to this is that uh, what is going on in Shanghai in on the port on wow. the origin side we have to watch yeah. that carefully. Yeah, the COVID lockdown and the effect that has on factories and shipping and transportation and everything. I'm particularly talking about the ships uh, in yeah. our Shanghai. Yeah. Well, here's the lightning round. It's really simple. This season, we've been asking all our guests three quick answers to three important questions. But what's top of mind for them? Uh, the first question is, what's top of mind for you as you think about COVID? Well, top of mind is get it behind us, you know, yeah, and, right. uh, and uh, we'll, we'll do everything in our power to get it behind us. And that's the hope and prayer. Top of mind for you when it comes to the economy? Well, right now, obviously, the inflationary environment is concerning. And uh, so how the, the governments deal with inflation and what that does to the resulting economy is something that we have to carefully monitor. This is a wonderful one. As you uh embark on the next step in your career is what's top of mind for you as you think about your development as a leader? Yeah, for me, uh, this is uh, as I go forward, I'm, I'm looking to leverage the core strengths of FedEx, but then expand upon it in, in ways to unlock value using our networks and our technology. So again, that, that's going to be a, you know, a transition for FedEx and uh, I'm looking forward to driving that change. Well, good luck to you, Raj Subramaniam. Uh, you know, on average, the CEO of FedEx stays in that job for 50 years. So we wish you the best of luck for a great half century. Ahead. Oh, fantastic. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Ellen. I appreciate it. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media.
Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes.